Next up, the official Rick and Rick review of Spider-Man Far From Home. That's right, all the web-slinging action, all the eye-popping special effects. Plus, all the Peter tingles your spidey senses can handle. (laughs) That's not right. And it all starts right here, right now, in a special, spoilerific episode. Of the one show where everybody's just another Rick in the Wall. And everybody rules the world. Hey, welcome to Rick and Rick Rule the World. This is Rick Matheson, along with our resident Marvel maniac, Rick Wooten. How you doing, Rick Wooten? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Yeah, I was really excited about this movie. You know I'm a, a huge Spider-Man fan, so I'm, I'm super excited about tonight's episode. Well, I am glad you're super excited, because just before we came on here, I took some notes because there's some things you might need to help me out with on a couple of spots right. in the movie. So I'm hoping you've got some good spidey answers here. Before we do that, you know, we were texting yesterday. I guess we'd both finished up Stranger Things season three and both loved it. Great season. The last few minutes of the final episode, which was directed by the Duffer brothers, just a case study in temporal shifting in the whole sort of kind of going back and forth between the present and Hopper writing the note to 11. Just fantastic. But the big thing was this post- credit stinger where we see this portal or whatever they're calling it opens up in Russia. There's a prison and you know these soldiers are going to fetch somebody and one of them says, oh no, not the American, the other one. Then they fed yeah. this other guy to a, what are they called? Demogorgons. And so it made me think that Hopper lives, that he's going to come back. I don't know if it's season four or if there's a season five. I took that as meaning when the portal was closed in Hawkins, he was blasted through to wherever this other portal opened up. That was my take, but you said there was another theory about this. So Nerdist News did have another theory, and the theory was that one of the characters from season one was the one who was actually trapped in the cell, Mm. uh, and that was the American that they were referring to. Uh, Do you remember his name? I think it was Dr. Brennan or Brenner. It was Dr. Modine's character. Exactly. And so the theory is that he's going to come back in season four, and that's what that's about. The theory, actually, which I thought was actually really clever, was that, um, you know, basically Hopper got transported, you know, into the Upside Down, and that somehow he's going to come back out on the other side, and that's, you know, how we get him back in in the next season. Uh, I kind of lean more towards that, although I think it's more that he's in the upside down more than it is that he was transferred to Russia or what have you. Um, But that's 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 where my prevailing theory is going right now. With all that, where, where do you stand? I still think he popped through one portal into, you know, when one demonic portal closes, another one opens somewhere. <laughs> and I, I think he was plopped over, he was blipped over to uh, to wherever they are. Although I, who knows? I, I, I think either of those are, are plausible, but I did read something today where, yes, they are opening this up to a larger universe. We are going to see the buyers again and that it's not going to all be set in Hawkins anymore. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but if you remember in season two, uh, Eleven wasn't the only one that, uh, the only children to, you know, have escaped, right? right? There was, I think her name was number eight. Uh, I, I don't remember her her regular name, but anyways, uh, she had escaped as well. Remember, there was like a little group of them, yeah. and I've been, you know, I, I really thought in season three, particularly when things started going sideways, that that would be their their opportunity to reintroduce those characters, so we could see, you know, what a band of these special ability people were like. Uh, but that's not what happened. So now I'm 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 
holding hope that in season four, that's where we see them, them come back. Either way, great season. So everybody be sure to watch Stranger Things season three if you haven't done so already. Right here, right now, let's dive into Spider-Man Far From Home. And you are a Spider-Man fanatic. So tell us what you thought of of this movie you know um we talked about this a little bit you know i'm a huge spider-man fan i i feel like we kind of hit a low where the movies that have been coming out were good they weren't great um they weren't quite meh but they you know they they weren't really shaking it up um then we saw uh spider-man into the spider-verse and that was over the top right i, I mean love the, that movie. Oh yeah, the 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 animated style, you know, the whole idea of the multiverse was solid. I yeah. I really really liked it, uh, and so then it felt like okay, now we've kind of reset. But can a live action actually keep up with that? Right. And then Far From Home came out, and I I have to say I was really impressed. I liked how they kind of connected back into what was happening in the MCU overall and how they addressed the five-year gap, which I thought was really clever and how they did that. And they would have characters that were five years older that were kids in the in the first one, but you know, then at the same age as the main characters in the second. Um, they they, you know, dealt with this idea of, you know, what's happening with the Avengers and what's happening with everybody being, you know, away. Anyways, it, it, and I just felt like they they paid homage to the the franchise, but then went off and did their own complete story. And this is this was fun because you know Mysterio, uh, you know, was in the comics when I was reading it as a kid. Oh, yeah. uh, he showed up. He showed up quite a bit. Uh, he was always the trickster, right? He was always you know playing playing tricks on on Spider Man, messing with his senses and all that. And they captured that so well in this movie. And the actor who played, what do you know his name was? Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, Jake Gyllenhaal. He killed it. He killed it. Actually, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine recently. Her name's Crystal. And she was saying that, like, she's got a big crush on him. So, you know, apparently he's uh, he's he was a good choice from it from a woman's perspective as well. <laughs> but anyways, I, I thought he nailed it. He absolutely played this character well. And uh, and, and he really kind of kind of made it work. And, you know, when he had the scene towards the end and you find out that he basically had, you know, created this fake film of Spider-Man basically being the bad guy, right. that was exactly how it was in the comics. In fact, I was talking to another listener, her name's Beth, and she was like, I didn't like the end of that movie. It's like, but that is exactly what it was like in the comics. He was always the trickster. He was always the illusionist. He was always trying to figure out how to how to win, even when he lost. And so I thought that they captured that so well in this. So hard stop for just a second, because I had a lot, I mean, unusual amount of cognitive dissonance about the backdrop, about how they explained, what do they call it, the blip instead of the snap. What I took from it is that it's about nine or so months after i think they went through this whole school year after one half of i guess not just humanity it was all living things disappeared in this cosmic snap or blip five years ago and then they reappeared and in those nine months everything returned to complete normalcy as if none of it had ever happened and i never understood exactly how did the people come back did they just show up in the desert you know somewhere in africa like they returned from utter limbo along with all those folks who disappeared in the bermuda triangle and, and and the cast of MTV's Real World. 
Did they just show up somewhere or did they reappear exactly where they left? Which would be a really big problem because half of humanity must have been flying helicopters and jet planes over <laughs> Manhattan right at the moment of the, the snap. Right. But I looked this up, Rick. According to Travel and Leisure Anyway, and I don't know if this is just the United States or worldwide, but there are at least 1,270,406 people flying in airplanes at any given moment. That would mean if people just reappeared, that would be 500,000 returnees who would reappear at 40,000 feet, plummet to their deaths, making pancakes of themselves and whoever they happen to hit on the way down. And then this was tougher, but according to Cora anyway, something like 6% of the world's population owns an automobile. So let's say that another one half of 1% of humanity was traveling in a car at that moment when Thanos snapped his fingers, who would suddenly appear out of nowhere at 70 miles per hour on the freeway or the road, and they'd be killed. And then whoever tried to avert them on the freeway would die as well. The movie seemed to indicate that, eh, well, nine months later, humanity's gone through not one, but two traumatic events, but all's well. And for some reason, every kid except one or two at Peter's high school disappeared and have reappeared at the same age and are ticked off that they had to take the school year over again. So that part, the way they did it, I thought was good in that they told us the backstory with the kids talking on the school's TV program and kind of filled us in on what had happened. But I had a hard time buying that at all. It was like, okay, we got to fit this in somewhere to you know build that connective tissue with in-game. Right. What am I missing? No, I don't think you're missing anything. I, and in fact, uh, they made a reference uh, about people in planes, and I forget what exactly it was. And, um, but anyways, I, I imagine that you're right. I, I imagine there was definitely a certain number of people who didn't make it that after, you know, they, they came back, um, you know, they, they were, they were in a situation where they were at 40,000 feet and, and plummeted to earth. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. They, they, to your point, they didn't really address that, but they kind of alluded to it. I don't know why, but for some reason, when I was watching the movie, I was like, wait, 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 you guys kind of breezed over that. That's some serious shit. Everyone, now everyone's on summer vacation in Europe as if nothing happened in Europe, nothing happened anywhere on the globe that would play into any of the events. That was one thing. Oh, and the other thing too, and I want to know your thoughts on this. No other heroes were available except one of the least <laughs> capable of dealing with these elementals. Right. Black Panther, is he running Wakanda? Doctor Strange? And Ant-Man and the Wasp, their little crack scientists would have figured this thing out pretty quickly. And, and we've talked about this before. Xavier and Magneto would have completely saw this. But what was interesting is when he asked and he mentioned, can't we get Captain Marvel? And Nick Fury says, don't even invoke her name. What'd you take right. from that line? Well, I mean, I took that they basically didn't have the budget in order to pay for those actors <laughs> to be there. <laughs> No, you know, I, I, I specifically remember them saying that, and uh, I, I, I think I was watching the, the movie with Jerry, and I, I mentioned that to him. I said, that was, that was a really kind of a, an odd conversation about, about her, and I, I didn't quite get it. And, you know, I, I ran through all kinds of possibilities, because, you know, one of the things you and I pointed out is, you know, she was absent when they needed her. Like, right. she's like, oh, I'm going to fly off to other planets and help them out. It's like, well, what about us? Right. Like, we need you right here what the hell are you going right. like and you know we we both felt that he she could have probably you know given thanos a run for for his money and and really you know made a difference but she didn't so uh i don't know i don't know i i don't know what to make of that um other than you know they just had to make it work because 
they didn't have the the licensing to use those characters because remember this is That's this true. is sony this That's is true. not this is not you know typical mcu there were two story arcs here it was the peter and mj story arc and then there was the mysterio story arc and to me they were really different the peter and mj story arc worked really well hugely entertaining the mysterio one didn't work for me that well. But starting with, with Peter and MJ, did you know that she's not Mary Jane? Wasn't she Mary Jane in the comics? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's Michelle Ooh. Jones. Oh, interesting. I don't think she is the same character in this universe, but I thought they were great. So that was uh, Tom Holland as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man and then Zendaya as MJ. That was a lot of fun, that whole story arc. Tom Holland, he was better than ever in this. Absolutely. No. You know, the, the other one, uh, going back to your earlier point about MJ, the other one that they kind of messed with uh, was Flash Thompson. Yeah. And um, they had, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Tony uh, Re Rebellari. Yeah, Rebellati. Yeah, and, you know, in the comics, you know, he was, you know, blonde-haired, tall football player right. and played by a more sophisticated uh, person in this one, which I thought was kind of interesting. So, you know, we've seen this more and more in, in the different the different shows where they're kind of changing up the characters from the traditional using just great actors and actresses as opposed to trying to fit a specific uh, archetype, which yeah. which actually I thought really worked in this movie well. I, I did. thought that yeah. the characters... I mentioned you know worked amazingly well and probably better and less cliche than they would have if had they chosen chosen to go more directly with the comic interpretation yeah yeah i was glad to see agent hill but it wasn't really nick fury and agent hill you're gonna have to remind me the mid credit scene was that the scene where it was revealed that mysterio had done that fake video mock-up to make spider-man the bad guy or was the mid credit scene the scene where we learned that this was never nick fury and agent hill throughout the whole movie it was actually what are they called scrolls yeah so the the last scene in the movie was the one that we found out about Mysterio. So that was actually part of the regular uh, storyline. Gotcha. Uh, the mid-season one was the one where we find out that uh, Nick Fury and uh, Agent Hill were not actually who we thought they were. They were two scroll uh, agents, which, you know, it's your point. We learned about them in, in Captain Marvel, but we've seen them throughout the MCU. They, they popped up here and there, you know, very identifiable by being green and shape-shifting so that they can take on the look and feel of anyone. Uh, I, I was a little surprised by that one because, yeah. uh, of course, you know, the, not only were they not Nick Fury and Agent Hill, but they were in communication and it was like they had permission from Nick Fury to play Nick Fury, which kind of tripped me out, which, yeah. uh, you know, it was cool. It would just, it just totally, you know, kind of took me back. I didn't expect that. I'm not so. sure I totally bought that it was that scroll couple from, from Captain Marvel. Okay. And, and I have to correct myself. I just looked it up. Uh, the mid credit scene was absolutely when Mysterio exposed the Spider-Man. J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson in that scene. He played J. Jonah Jameson in that original Sam Raimi movie way back whenever that was, 2002. So we're going on 20 years ago. And I'll point out he played Commissioner James Gordon in Batman v. Superman. So dude's getting around. He's going to both Marvel and DC like mad. And you know what? He captures that character totally. amazingly well. He yeah. nails it. He absolutely nails it. And, you know, if uh, in the comic books, you always pictured, well, not pictured, because you saw it j jonah jameson is like a total type a personality he's always yeah. yelling you know spit coming
coming out of his mouth, you know, and cursing out Spider-Man on a regular basis. And then, you know, they, they brought in uh, this actor and he nails it. Like he definitely epitomizes what I read as as J. Jonah Jameson growing up. Did you get the did you get the significance of the last scene with the two crawl? I so, did not. Okay, so um if you remember early on, you know, Nick Fury flew around in this flying platform, right? He had, you know, in the early Iron Man movies and stuff like that, the early Avengers movies, he had that floating, sp- not spaceship, but, you know, uh, helicarrier. You know, helicarrier. There you go. Later in, in the comic book series, uh, instead of having that, they had something called S.W.O.R.D., which was a sentient world observation response department, which was <laughs> in space. And the ship that he's building that we see at the end was the the new flying aircraft. And, uh, you know, of course, it's in space. And this is that that big bridge between the MCU and the next generation. Right. And and now that we know, because we've heard that it's going to have a celestial aspect to it, it's going to be in space and what have you, that ship is kind of like a stake in the ground saying, and here's where it's going to begin. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you, you know, I would not have known any of that. So I'm glad you filled that that in for me. Uh, now, Mysterio seemed very different. I always cracked up. It's the most ridiculous looking supervillain ever in the history of anything. But let's see if I got this. So Mysterio is this very stable genius of a fraudster <laughs> and sort of illusionist who's upset for not being recognized or yeah. remotely rewarded for his obvious brilliance for all his work at Stark Corp. So he starts creating crises with bonus points if it puts innocent but expendable people in grave danger so that he alone can come to the rescue and save the day by ending the crises he himself created. As he pretends to be a good guy in order to manipulate Peter, Mysterio tells him, and twice to put a fine point on it, quote, we live in a time when people want to believe in something and these days people will believe anything. To pull off his scam, Mysterio holds sway over this loose band of other losers with similar resentments who kind of help him orchestrate his elaborate illusions. His end game, if I was following everything, was to exploit the offensive firepower that Stark Industries developed for the U.S. government to become the great man he believes himself to be. In fact, I think it said the, he wanted to be the new Iron Man, making it clear that he's more than willing to use that firepower to wipe out anyone who fails him or is disloyal to him in any way. I have. I was surprised that he didn't have gaseous Cheetos powder swirling in his mask and that he wasn't in cahoots with Jeffrey Epstein before pretending he's not a fan and doesn't really know him. It was like, wow. I almost felt like they actually had to change some stuff for it not to be totally on the nose. But I do think Jake Gyllenhaal was great. I did like how he you know, seemed so good, but then was so evil. And when he really let himself go with you know, his plans, which was kind of funny, that was sort of, now I'm the villain and I'm going to tell you everything about my, my scheme. But I thought he was good overall. But, but was Mysterio always like this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, if anything... Uh, Mysterio in in the movie was less campy than he was in the comic books and it was always kind of over the top not believable you always knew that you know something was afoot and but again like I said he's he's you know the the Loki of the spider universe right Ah. you, you always know he's up to something and you know once you read one comic with a minute you always are waiting to see and you know the, he always played this idea of you know uh you know reform and you know better person da 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 just to screw over spider-man again 
and oh, it happens sure. over and over and over again. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I think, I think uh, Jill and Hall did a great job with it, you know, kind of captured that essence, but actually made it a little more believable than it even was in the comics because yeah. it wasn't all that, that believable. I don't remember Mysterio flying. Could he fly in the comics? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I, not uh, probably all the time, but I think most of the time his flying was an illusion. Right. Now, what was the purpose of the gas in the mask? Why did he have that snow globe sort of thing? I think it was just to hide his identity. Okay. Yeah. I remember in the comics and the cartoon show just always going, is there a head in there? Because it always seemed lower, like it wouldn't fit, like there wouldn't, a head wouldn't fit inside of it. Like it was closer to the <laughs> neck and shoulders. But uh, Okay. So here's my question for you. Who would be the Spider-Man villain you would most like to see in the next Spider-Man movie? Oh... Let's see. That's a good one. You know, the, the problem is, is I think they've hit all the ones that I think are the best. I mean, you know, they had the Green Goblin already. They had the guy with electricity. Oh, yeah. yeah the Electro. Electro, yeah. I, I mean, they, they've had all of, in my opinion, all the best ones. I, You know what I think would be kind of fun? And, and I haven't seen anybody talk about doing this, but... Um, there were two comics that uh, were derivative that I really liked. One of them was called "What If," and oh, it was what what would happen if a certain scenario would you know like how would Spider-Man react or right. you know how would Iron Man react? I think they could do a fun one with that. The other one was the team-ups where they would have you know different folks you know team up to to fight other people. So you know whether it was like Spider-Man and Daredevil or Spider-Man and the Hulk or Iron Man or whatever. And I think they could do something an awful awfully fun if they did if they did that uh, you know i'm surprised they don't do like an animated tv show of of what if that'd be a lot of fun doc ock was one that, oh, doc that ock, love over that. and over again we've seen doc ock though yep oh actually here you go here's one that i'd like to see i, I don't think they've done this one have they craven have they done craven no they haven't he was craven, craven. the hunter what was his superpower was he just ex heightened like uh, senses and abilities was he super strong exactly Okay. Exactly. I, I think he would be a pretty good one. Um, they had other ones that were fun, like Tombstone, Kingpin. But, yeah, they did that know. in Spider-Verse, but that would be a good yep. Oh, Did they have Kingpin in the Daredevil TV show? They did. I think J. Jonah Jameson's son becomes a supervillain at one point. I think he uh, So that, that might be kind of fun to play, but... Yeah, I'm going to Craven. I'm going to say Craven would be the one I would I would say yes to. Okay, so you mentioned Into the Spider-Verse. I got to say, in some ways, I felt like that was an even better movie than this one. I felt like Ooh. that was really original and just unexpected. I wish I saw it in the theater. I only saw it on demand, and I was like, oh, dang, I should have seen this in 3D at the Cineplex. I thought that was truly amazing. And it, and it did win the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature last year. I felt oh, like... excellent. I didn't know that. Yes. And I, I liked this one, but it's really because I liked, you know, the whole Peter and MJ thing I thought was totally appealing. And I loved how Nick Fury was sort of manipulating things so that the classmates would all have to be in a different place than they wanted to be. I thought that was hugely totally. entertaining. But as a whole, it's like a, some friends teased me about this once and I, I didn't realize I said it all the time. But I'd come back, you know, after a weekend, I'd seen a movie and say, what do you think? And I guess I would always say, I didn't I didn't hate it. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about this one. I just I didn't hate it. I thought it was enjoyable, but I, I didn't love it. Well, that's too bad. And not only did I not hate it, I actually really liked it. So, you know, I, I think that in recent history, it's definitely at the top of my list. Does it beat out the last one? Uh, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. It does. So, so you're great. Are you giving it an A? 
you know what? I think I'm going to give it the first A. Wow. So what was my first? Okay, so my first A minus was Endgame, and your first A is going to Far From Home. So both Marvel movies. Wish I really wish I could say the same thing about DC movies sometime. Um, <laughs> I am going to give this one. I I have to. I can't give it a B. I have to give it like a, a C plus. I almost felt like it was. Whoa! Yeah. What? I almost felt like this is too strong, but I almost felt like it was. It was like Spider Man: Far From Perfect. That's too bad. And I know I am. I am by myself here because, by the way, listeners, it gets a ninety percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow! I can't believe. You're giving it a C plus. I'm gonna have to see it again. And you know what? And part of it was maybe in comparison to Spider Verse, just because I was so surprised how much I liked that movie. Um, okay, so you are giving this one. Did you say an A minus or A? For one A. I'm giving it an A. I'm All giving right. it my best rating yet. All right. Well, folks, we'd love to hear one your opinion on what the hell the final scene in Stranger Things season three meant. And two, your take on Spider-Man Far From Home, because we're having a total disconnect here, so maybe you can solve it. I have a feeling I'm going to be all by myself in this. But thank you for listening, and please tune in next time for the one show where everybody's name is Rick and everybody rules the world. Thanks so much, everyone.